0: God, thanks so much um, just for our friends here today. Thank you that we could gather and just pause as we get ready to launch off into this new year and this last weekend of 2013, God. I, I pray that you just you meet with us, that we would encounter you, and as we open up your word today, that just our time would be helpful. And God, we love you, and just thanks so much for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, my is Doug, if you guys uh, don't know me, and I have the awesome privilege of working with students here at Lakeside. And uh, I've been doing that for some time now. And uh, I've made an observation about high school students particularly, and students in general, college students, middle school students, uh, but really high school students. I believe that every high school student wants more freedom in their life. Would you agree, parents? I mean, adults, we're the same way. We want more freedom. I mean, I have yet to meet the student that says, you know what I need? I need some more rules. I would really like some more boundaries. I would love it if mom and dad sat me down and just gave me an earlier curfew. That'd be great. Or if I just had some more constraints in my life. Like, that would be cool. You know, every every student wants freedom. Every student wants freedom. And one of the lies, and we talk about this with the high school students, one of the the traps that students can fall into and the lies that they could believe is that if I get away from mom and dad, if I walk away from God, if I, you know, rebel against authority, then I'll find freedom. And the lie is that rebellion leads to freedom. And what we all know is, is that's not true. Rebellion doesn't lead to freedom. And I've been reflecting about this principle in, in my own life and looking back at Kind of who I am and how I grew up. I've um, I was one of the. There's sort of like two extremes for kids. They gravitate towards one extreme. One extreme is kind of rule following, doing the right thing, listening to mom and dad. They make their bed. They organize their room. I mean, they kind of just do it right. And then the other extreme is the rule breaker. Sort of like if there's a rule, if there's a boundary, the temptation they're just they like to bend it. They like to push it. They like to ask why. They like to see how close to the edge they could get before they go over. And for me growing up, I was more the rule breaker. And my sister was more the rule follower. And if you're a parent here and you're raising kids or have raised kids, you can kind of think which kid went towards which one of those ways. And so for me growing up, I was sort of a rule breaker. When someone said no, my next question was why. And I just, I love to push. I love to push boundaries. And... Also, while I was growing up, one of the things that was very important to me was sports. In particular, in high school, I loved football, loved football. And something that was constantly a struggle for me was gaining and maintaining weight for football because I wanted to be big and strong and, you know, being able to be big enough to play football. And when I was in high school, it didn't matter. It seemed like how much I ate, I could not gain or maintain weight. And some of you are like, that doesn't sound like a problem. That sounds like a great thing. But for me in high school, I just had that hollow leg, man. I mean, it just did not matter what I ate. I could not gain weight. And so my dad uh, went out and got me a bunch of these big jugs of weight gainer, which is pretty much this powdery, sugary, calorie-rich substance that you would mix into milk and ice cream and make these shakes. And so every morning, I would get up, and I, I wouldn't make, because I take things to the extreme. I I didn't make like a 12-ounce sippy cup. I would make this 64-ounce huge weight gainer, whole milk, protein powder. I I eventually started putting ice cream in it. I would bring raw eggs. i start cracking, put raw eggs in it, and it just made this huge, awesome shake every morning, and I would drink it. It was great. Loved it. And one of the things, my dad was totally behind it. I thought it was great. Loved that I was doing that, yet he had one rule. He said, Doug, Love that you're doing this. However, when you drive to school, do not bring it in the car. Don't bring it in the car, first of all, because I don't want you to spill it in my car. And this was these big shakes. So he's like, you're welcome to drink it. Just drink it at home. So one day, I'm a junior in high school, and I had started to, and if you're familiar with kind of high school world, my uh, first period class was a class that I was consistently tardy to because I like to sleep in. It was hard for me to get up in the morning. And so this particular morning, I had overslept. And so I go, down, I go out to the kitchen, I make the shake, I check the clock, and I realize I don't have enough time to drink this shake. I got to go. So I grab the keys, grab my shake, grab my backpack, hop in the car, drive to school. About halfway to school, I got the, my left hand on the steering wheel, my right hand on the shake, the shake's right on the center console, and about halfway to school, the car in front of me suddenly breaks, and I go to brake, but I realize that my right hand was no longer on the shake, and so when I hit the brakes, the car lurches forward, the shake shifts. And then shoots off like shot out of a catapult. And 64 ounces of sugar, egg, whole milk, ice cream explodes all over my dad's car. And I mean, it's in every crack, crevice. It's in those little holes in the speaker. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it is everywhere. And I'm late to school. So what do I do? Do I go home and clean it up or do I go to school? I go to school. So I I get to the parking lot, I get out of the car, i got about three minutes to get to class, it's May by the way, it's very hot, I open the door, I give it one last look, what do you think I did? Shut the door, went to class, I'll deal with it later. So what happens for the next six to seven hours is my dad's car with this 64 ounce nasty shake begins to bake and fester and get funky. And I come out about 3 o'clock and I open that door and the smell that came out of the car was just unbelievable. And I get in the car and I drive home and, and needless to say, my dad was a little frustrated with me for doing that. And uh, it was kind of a, not a good thing to do. And so I spent the next week cleaning my parents' car, trying to get all the junk out from every crack and crevice in his car. Because there's something that I struggled with in high school was the whole believing that I would find freedom by doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it whenever I wanted to do it and what happens is whenever we rebel against authority against God against parents against principles it it doesn't lead us to freedom doesn't lead us to freedom I believe that it actually leads us to a place of exile that whenever we rebel it leads us to exile. And sometimes exile is a spilled milkshake, you know, not the end of the world. Even though I will say the car never really smelled right after that. Even when we went to sell it, it still kind of had a little little funk. But whenever we rebel, it doesn't lead us to where we want to go. Rebellion never leads to freedom. I believe that rebellion leads to exile. And when I say the word exile, I believe that exile is life not as you and I would want it to be. Exile is when we find ourselves not where we want to be, maybe around people we don't want to be with, or having to do things we didn't hope to do. Exile is a place of separation, a place of loss, loss of relationships, a place of pain, brokenness, a place of discomfort. Exile is life not as you and I would want it to be. And sometimes we rebel our way into exile. In our, in our culture and society, if you rebel long enough and hard enough, you eventually go to a very literal exile, which is known as jail or prison. Because rebellion never leads to freedom. I mean, whenever we rebel against God and we look at God and say, God, I don't want to do it your way. I'd rather do it my way. I don't want to come under your authority. I don't want to come under the authorities that you put in my life. I want to do things the way I want to do them. Whenever we rebel against God's principles, whether those are financial principles, whether those are the principles that God gives us on how marriage is to go or how sexuality is to go, or whenever we look at Anything that God lays out or gives us as this loving God who loves us and wants us to be free and say, I don't want it, it leads us to a place of exile. Sometimes we choose exile through rebellion. And then other times we experience exile, life not as we would want it to be, not because we rebelled, but just because it happens. It happens. Seasons of life of exile that just happen. A few weeks ago, Brad uh, finished a series, uh, "The Gospel According to Job." If you were here for that series, it was uh, he did a fabulous job. You can check it out online. And the book of Job is revolving around that key question: Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good people experience exile? Why? And in the whole book of Job, if you read it, it never really gets fully resolved. It just sort of walks through that question. Because sometimes we experience exile and we didn't choose it. We didn't ask for it. I was um, at one of the Christmas gatherings this um, on Monday, and one of my friends, I was talking with one of my buddies, and he um, had had some health concerns and had gone into the doctor for some check to get things checked out. And... Um, Turns out, and it's none, none of it's conclusive or for sure, but that the doctor thinks that he may have a, um, a serious form of cancer. And man, as he, as he was sharing that with me, I just it broke my heart. Because here's a guy, loves Jesus, is a great husband, great dad, works an on, honest job. I mean, he serves, he's young, he's healthy. Why does he get to experience a season like that, why does he experience exile? Sometimes we have exile and we just didn't choose it. I mean, nobody asked to get cancer. No one gets cancer and says, you know what, I was expecting this. I asked for this. No one ever expects to deal with a mental illness. No one ever, ever expects or asks for, you know what I'd love? I would love some anxiety. That sounds great. Sign me up for that. I mean, we just don't. We just don't. whether we're a rebel or a rule follower, there are times in life and seasons of life where we experience exile, life not as we would want it to be. And the big question for all of us is what do we do when we experience that? What do we do when we feel that? What do we do when we feel like life is not as we would want it to be? In the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament chronicles the story of Israel, the story of God's people, the Jews, and how God took this group of people and said, it's going to be through you that I'm going to bring the whole world back to myself. And he takes these, this Jewish nation from the land of slavery in Egypt, takes them out into the desert, and reveals to them and gives them his law and says, I am your God and you are my people, and I'm going to bring you to this prime period, piece of real estate right between three continents, and it's going to be from there that I'm going to bring the whole world to myself. And in the Old Testament, Israel struggles with this calling. They struggle with rebelling against God, and God sends to Israel prophet after prophet, always trying to get them to get back on track and to get them to live out God's calling on their, them as a nation Until finally in 587 B.C., God says, enough is enough. And he brings in the evil empire, the Babylonian empire led by Nebuchadnezzar to take his people into exile because of their rebellion. And today what I want to do is I want to look at a story or a letter that God sends to his people living in exile. A letter that God sends to his people living lives they weren't hoping to live. Living in a place they didn't want to live. With people they don't want to be living with. A people in exile. And so today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, if you have your Lakeside Bible, it's page 545. And this is a powerful letter. It's a letter that is for them and I believe it's for us. Whenever we find ourselves, our lives in a place of exile, lives in a place of where we're not happy with how things are going, we can read this letter and find a lot of hope and a lot of help. So this is what God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen's mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted a letter to Eleasaph, son of Saphan, and to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. This is what it said. Uh, Verse 4 It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that you too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. It's powerful. God says to his people, living in exile, living in a place they didn't want to be, with people they didn't want to be with, having to adjust to this new environment, this new place. And they, I guarantee every one of these Israelites that were in exile didn't like it. They weren't happy about it. They wanted a change. They wanted to be free. They wanted to be away from where God had placed them. And yet God says to them, you know what I want you to do in exile? Build a house, plant a garden, get your kids married, keep living your lives. God says to his people, and I believe he says to us, whenever we find ourselves in exile, we are to keep living the life that he's given us. Whenever we go through seasons of exile, I think there's a huge temptation to just do nothing, just pull back to pull away from relationships, to not get out of bed in the morning, to just sort of stop living, to just sort of wallow in pity or to blame or to just be angry and to just sort of pause everything. And God says to these people, don't pause. Live. Live. I know you're not happy. I know this isn't where you want to be, but I want you to live here. Live. Live. Remember to live. Life is worth living. When in exile, live the life I have given you. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says, seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. It's a radical statement. Babylon, the evil empire led by Nebuchadnezzar, the, the man who single handedly ordered the destruction of Solomon's temple and burned it to the ground. And God is saying to his people love the Babylonians, pray for them, care about them, find ways to help their society. I mean, this would have just been so offensive to the hearers of this, because they had every reason to hate them, to want to rebel against them. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. And here God is saying to these people, come under their authority. Be good citizens in Babylon. Whenever we find ourselves in exile, I think there's a big big temptation to lash out against others to lash out against a spouse, to lash out against a boss, to lash out against somebody that God has placed us under their authority because we're not happy. Paul would later echo this in Romans 13.1 when he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This is really challenging. God says to you and to me that when we're in exile, when we're in a place we don't want to be, we're to come under God's authority. And we're to come under the authority God has placed us under. God says, when in exile, live. And when in exile, come under my authority and come under the authorities I've placed you under. And then he gives his people a promise in verse 12. This is what he says. He says, then you will call on me. After you've done this, after you've said, you know what, I'm going to live and I'm going to come under God's authority. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where i banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God is saying to his people that you can find me in exile. That you can know me even though you're in a place you don't want to be. God is saying to his people, even though the temple is destroyed. And for the Jewish people, the temple was the way that they connected to God. I mean, sacrifices had stopped because that temple got burned down. And yet God even says to his people, you know what? You don't even need a temple. You can have me. You can know me. You can find me in Babylon. You can find me in exile. When in exile, God wants us to live. And when we're in exile, God wants us to come under his authority and the authority that he's placed us under. In addition, God wants us to live seeking him despite being in exile. This promise that Jeremiah gives to these people in exile makes me think about Jesus. Because ultimately, every book in the Bible points to Jesus. Every story in the Bible points to Jesus. In fact, the correct way to read the Bible is to read it that it's all about Jesus. And as we look at Jesus' life, Jesus came to love and find people who were experiencing exile. And in Luke 19.10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save people who feel lost. And he also said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, and I have it up here on the screen in the message translation. This is what it says. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Ultimately, Jesus came to find people in exile. He came to find people like you and me who experience pain, loss, disappointment, exile. And that when we find Jesus, and we can find Jesus despite being in exile, and when we find Jesus, we find freedom, life as it's meant to be. When Sean was um, sharing about the um, adjustment and the schedules and the whole bringing services together, uh, that way we were bumping into each other more, Um, it made me think of a guy I met last year who I just met here at the church. I didn't um, know him from anything before. I was just, I was out there one day and I ran into him and shook his hand and we started up a conversation and uh, we became friends. And uh, his name is Jeff Miller. And uh, he came to Lakeside about a year ago, and, and we, for whatever reason, just hit it off. I mean, he was just the coolest guy, and uh, we became friends, and he's now one of my heroes. Jeff was a guy who knew what it was like to live free and found so much freedom in Christ. Jeff's exile experience was having to deal with cancer. Jeff um, had a kind of cancer uh, where, which required him to have a stem cell transplant, which is, a, which is an extreme process, extreme procedure. Yet I watched him over the past year, and yet no matter the experience, no matter what was going on, he lived his life with this incredible freedom that no matter the circumstance, he found freedom in Jesus So much so that he actually started a ministry here at Lakeside called Free Indeed, and it meets on Wednesday nights. And um, it's still going on despite Jeff passing away about a month ago. And um, I thought it'd be fitting just to close uh, this message and this gathering with just sharing a little bit of his story. So this is Jeff's story.
1: Hi, my name is Jeff Miller, and this is my story. I can remember that my parents had a maid that they let go, and they let her go because they accused her of watering down the vodka in the bar at the house. Little did they know that it it wasn't Maria that was watering down the vodka, it was Jeff. And I found out, unfortunately, the numbing effects of vodka at the age of 10. And so I became a highly functioning alcoholic for the next 30 or so years. Moving from house to house, from neighborhood to neighborhood, from town to town, it became incredibly lonely. And loneliness has been one of my arch enemies throughout my lifetime to where I was sitting on the edge of a bed with a 38 revolver, nickel-plated 38, and I was going to take my life. You can only self-medicate so much until reality hits you smack dab in the face. And so here I was again praying to a Lord, to a God that I didn't know. I told him I said hey if you're really real if this born-again thing that I've heard about is true then you need to tell me right now (laughs) he said in a still small voice that sounded louder than audible I am here those three simple words I don't really recall what happened after that because it was actually two days later that I woke up on my bed with the gun on the floor, but I knew something had changed. I felt different, and I didn't know why. Slowly but surely, I realized that I was uncomfortable living the way I was living, and the Lord took one thing at a time. He first took the cocaine, because I had almost given myself a heart attack. And then after that, he took the cigarettes. And then he took the marijuana. And the last thing that I didn't want him to take was the liquor, because it was a legal way to self medicate, and I was functioning. And at least I could, you know, at five o'clock, check out emotionally from the hurts that were in me. In the book of John, the 8th chapter, I believe it's the 32nd verse, it might be the 36th verse, Jesus is talking about sin and being a slave to sin, something that I know a little bit about. And he said, if the Son of Man sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know what's really wonderful about life now? July 8th, 2008 is the last time I had a drop of alcohol. And so for the last five years, a little more than five years, I've been functioning, highly functioning without any drug, without any alcohol. It's much better to live your life free with your Lord and Savior who cares for you than it is running your life your own way Anything that you're struggling with that you can't get over in your own strength, no matter how far down you think you are, or no matter what your sin or problem is, you, with the Holy Spirit's help, can be free.